Hello, everyone. Welcome to the very first conversation of conversations that don't suck. I'm super, super jazzed about this episode because it is with a very fabulous woman named Sarah Ness, and I'm really excited to get into that. But first, I have a few preliminary things that I want to go through. I firstly want to just say that recording these intros for the episodes has probably been the most uncomfortable part of this whole process because I'm just sitting here and like talking to the microphone but having to pretend like there's an audience with me and I know that there is now that you're listening to me but it's just kind of a weird hilarious thing. It's like this oddly intimate and yet also totally completely solo no one is here type of thing. Anyway, so (laughs) just in the spirit of transparency, wanted to share how awkward I feel doing this. A few things to mention before we dive into the conversation with Sarah Ness, and Sarah is amazing. I had the chance to meet Sarah uh, when I was in Austin a couple months ago. I've known who Sarah is for a long time because she runs an amazing company called Authentic Revolution, and I have known about Authentic Revolution for a long time, and I definitely uh, was like trying to keep it cool when I met her and didn't really do that good of a job. So I was super excited to be able to sit down with her and have this conversation and to record this episode. It is so full of wisdom. Sarah is just like listening back to it and I've listened back to this episode several times and I'm still learning from Sarah and the extensive work that she's done in the world of connection and she just has such a beautiful nuanced take on it Um, and probably more than anyone I'm connected with has a real expertise on this area and how being focused on connection matters in the way that we interact with others and the way that we are as leaders and there's just so much to be learned from this episode so I'm really excited to release this conversation to the world and I had so much fun recording it and this is one of the episodes where I share some of my own experiences with loneliness and how I've been reaching out for help more frequently in the recent months because I've had a hell of a winter so far and anyone who knows me personally knows that it's just been like kind of um, honestly amazing how hard the last few months have been just a lot of like chaos going on at once Uh, which is fine you know this is this is life and that's seasons and uh, maybe that's just what winter is (laughs) a lot of the time that actually seems to be a pattern in my life so I mentioned just some of the challenges that I've been going through and and how reaching out for help has been this deeply uncomfortable but important thing that I've been learning to do recently and how that's been a big piece of connection that I am learning right now one of the last things I want to mention before diving into the episode is that Sarah is running something called the authentic leadership training in Austin Texas where she is based and where authentic Revolution is based. And it's an incredible leadership training that is about how to bring more transparency and more honesty and more heart and more connection to the way that we are as leaders and the way that we communicate, the way that we are in our friendships, our relationships. It's not just for people who consider themselves leaders because we're all leaders. So if you think you're not a leader, you're wrong. And um, it's about learning to hone in on your personal skills and your intuition and leading from authenticity and learning to fail fast and iterate, which I love that they use that term, failing fast. And I really cannot recommend Sarah's work enough. And I will be there. It is starting on January 24th, which is very soon. That's in five days. This course is really accessible in its affordability. And that's something that I know is really important to Sarah and important to Authentic Revolution. So I definitely recommend that you check out the course and I will put the link to that course in the show notes. All right, that is all I have for you for now. And we're going to dive into the episode. So let's get into it. We live in a world that is starved for more authentic connection. Better conversations are our first step in getting there. Welcome to Conversations That Don't Suck. I'm your host, Kyla Sokol-Ward, and I'm here to engage you in truth-telling discussions about the super deep, always beautiful, sometimes ugly, and wholly honest parts of being a human. Real connection and empathic communication can feel easy and should be a part of our everyday lives. Most of our conversations suck. These ones don't. 
let's dive in and tell us who you are, how you define yourself, what you do in the world, and we're going to flow from there. Starting with the hard questions. Um, <laughs> I am 28-year-old entrepreneur who basically teaches people how to connect better, which seems like the theme of this podcast. So mm-hmm. I was excited to be on it. I do leadership trainings and community building and create and provide resources on connection games called Authentic Relating Games. And um, I'm kind of obsessed with how to reduce human suffering. Mm. One of the primary causes I see of that is in loneliness and isolation. There's a lot of human ailments that go away when we feel connected to others, but how to create those spaces, like what is it to be authentic with ourselves and with other people, like how to take other perspectives, like how to show up when we don't feel good, all of this stuff, mm. I don't think we get a lot of training in. Um, so I've tried to create some of those spaces and, and trainings. Beautiful. Yeah, I don't know if I've ever had the chance to tell you this, but I, I'm i trying to remember who the person was that introduced me to your work. If I'm remembering it correctly, I think it was a friend of mine. Her name is Yasmin. And this was like probably a year and a half ago. This was, yeah, June of last year. And I was talking to her about my work and she she's like, oh, you know about Authentic Revolution, right? And I was like, no should I? And she's like, oh, I can't believe you don't know about this. She's like, you definitely like, you have to look them up. They're amazing. And um, they're in Austin and they have this amazing manual of relating games. And I was like, they make games for adults. And it just blew my mind. And I remember so distinctly, like looking through your website and looking through the games manual and just like having like mini hyperventilating because I was just freaking out that they, that this thing existed and that there were ways um, or that there were people who were dedicating themselves to helping adults connect more meaningfully. It's so special what you're doing. And I'm so excited and feel really jazzed and lucky that I get to be on the earth at the same time that you're doing this. Aw, thanks. (laughs) Yeah. What, um, I'm curious, like how you decided to dive into this work, um, because so many people, share the feelings that you're talking about and they a lot of people feel lonely and feel disconnected and don't feel like they're having meaningful conversations but they don't really know what they could do about it like what inspired you to actually take action and decide to do something about the thing that you were experiencing and that so many others were also experiencing I mean I got kind of lucky because I stumbled on authentic relating um I think I'd always been a person that like wanted to I would just like kind of naturally like try to gather other people to do stuff. So like whether it was a flash mob or like posting poetry around town or, um, you know, dancing or whatever, it was like, I'm, I'm pretty extroverted. So I was like, Oh, things are more fun with other people. So how do I create more of that? Mm -hmm. And, but I grew up pretty socially isolated and like not really understanding how to connect with other people. Um, and when I got to college, I think I I felt even more of that isolation. Um, and then, and I was I was living in housing co-ops, and that was where I started really finding my tribe. And one of the co-ops that I was um, I started studying co-ops and intentional communities because it was the only thing that I'd found that actually 
provided spaces for adults to meaningfully connect and just like find each other and take responsibility over their own lives Mm. in a society that seemed bent on like protecting us from every form of self-responsibility, um, Mm. except for taxes. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) um, and so one of the, I was studying these housing co-ops and, and co-housing and communes. And one of the co-ops took me to an ecstatic dance and that gave me a whole new relationship with my body. Like I'd always been like, Oh, what's this thing that carries my head around mm-hmm. and dance got me into, um, realizing that like what was happening in my body and how my body wanted, wanted to move and react to the world was important. And some of the people at dance introduced me to authentic relating. So it was like, I came, I feel like I came at it through a steady progression of finding out that community was important and doing more of it. And then I stuck with authentic relating because I, I fell in love with the person who introduced it to me and he brought together a little team of facilitators. And it was like that inner community feeling wanted by them, feeling like I had a practice that was allowing me to express myself for the first time when I had come from college and, and environments that are really about like figuring out what hole you fit in. There's very little, like, what do you want to do or who are you? It's like, what, what are you going to major in? Like, what are you going to do with your life? And I didn't know, like, all I knew was like, I like learning stuff. I like bringing people together. I like creating things like what sort of job lets me do that. I think another thing that caused it is like I'm a pretty strong empath or whatever highly sensitive person, or I don't know what the correct word is these days, but like I tend to feel other people's emotions or like if I hear something happening in the world, like I'll have a visceral reaction to it Mm -hmm. and just getting a sense of like, of my own loneliness and how many people around me were experiencing this sense of disconnection, especially after college just made me, ever more passionate about figuring out like how how do we connect and how can we do it more so it was, it was almost like it didn't feel like there was a choice um once i found out and once i did a bunch of research more recently on what causes human happiness and like how where we come from and what tribes used to be like i was just reading this wonderful book called tribe by sebastian junger it had a lot of this information in it so long-winded answer that's how I got into it. Beautiful. When I'm curious when you're saying that you grew up feeling like you didn't know how to connect, what did that mean for you? Because I think a lot of people feel that way and I'm curious how that felt, how that was experienced by you in your own world. Yeah, I had I had an interesting situation growing up where like I um so my family lived out in the suburbs. My parents had basically no friends. Um we lived like 45 minutes away from anything. And I learned to read at a really young age. And I just like got obsessed with books. Like I would pick out 10 books from the library and finish them in a week. Like I taught myself to read and I taught myself to speed read. And it was like, I just, just wanted to live in the worlds that I was reading about. And so I missed almost all of the social acclimatization that people do. Like I didn't have people around me except at school um, and my parents. And I wasn't interacting with the kids at school because I was reading most of the time. And also because I was like kind of shy and awkward and like in a bunch of the gifted classes and like, it just didn't understand how people 
connected with each other. So I just didn't. <laughs> I read and I wrote and that was pretty much it. You know, by the time I got to high school, I was like, oh, oops, <laughs> I guess I should have done more of that interaction thing, huh? Darn, I guess um, I missed that. <laughs> yeah, seriously. It was, it was really interesting, like looking back on it now, because sometimes I'll just make social blunders that other people like look at me like, what did you just, <laughs> like, why did you say that? I'll be like, oh. Oops. <laughs> You're not supposed to. Oh, okay. <laughs> got it, got it, got it, got it. Okay. <laughs> yeah, let me file that one in my memory banks. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I think I dealt with growing up in the suburbs, isolated by creating my own worlds and living within them, which I guess to some extent is what I'm still doing. Um, and I think the, the moment that I noticed that my life was actually like, a place like feeling good to me was when I realized that I didn't feel that same craving to read fantasy or sci-fi anymore. I was like, Oh, I actually want to like live in the life that I'm living. How do I keep it that way? And how has it been like, as you've been exploring connection, because I, (laughs) I asked this because as I had mentioned to you earlier, a lot of people have this idea that connection is something that needs to feel like super intense and super vulnerable. And a lot of people don't see the way that connection can be something that's really easy and part of our everyday lives and it can feel really uh, simple and doesn't have to be intense or sad or anything like that. What has your experience been in like learning to connect with people more meaningfully, especially coming from a place when you maybe weren't doing that much connection with other people at all? Mm, that's a great question. So I want to say a couple of things on that. One is levels of depth and the second is safety and those kind of interweave. So what I'm talking about is like, there's a difference between like saying hi to a barista at a coffee shop and having a short interaction, approaching somebody at a table and talking to them, like interacting with someone at an event or at a party and having a longer conversation or like dropping in deep with a friend that you feel comfortable with. I think what a lot of people don't realize they they put all of the all interaction on the same level. And that's just not true. Like it's way scarier to interact with a stranger for most people than it is to interact with a friend. The safety levels are different. You don't know how a stranger is going to respond. Like some people are very closed off and if you open up to them, they'll lash back. That's just a fact. And so if that happens a couple of times, we say, oh, I guess it's not safe to be vulnerable or open or interact with strangers. Um, But actually it's like you do that with 10 people and like, you know, you say hi, you see how people respond. You find too that like, have a response that aligns with your values, you deepen with those people, and then you can choose the level of vulnerability you want. And the deepening like happens a lot through vulnerability. Like if you never open up to someone, if you never lean on them when you need it, it it doesn't actually form deep bonds. Something I've I've been exploring lately is like I have a really hard time leaning on people when I'm struggling. And I've been Mm -hmm. struggling a lot with depression this winter. And I tend to like kind of hide away and not want to tell people about it. And I know that times when friends have reached out to me when they were struggling massively deepened our bonds. And so I've been practicing like not helping others, but asking for help. Mm. Um, So there's this kind of mutual interdependence that often is formed by vulnerability. And it doesn't have to be like, if you're just vulnerable and deep with people all the time, vulnerability becomes like this high that we're chasing. It feels good to have that kind of connection for most people, but then the relationship becomes about processing and you start creating more situations to process in. 
and mm. connections have to be balanced. I mean, actually for some relationships that works well, but for a lot of people, like that can be a little bit exhausting. And so noticing like, where are we at right now? Am I feeling excited? Am I feeling connected? Am I feeling alive? Like aliveness, the level of like, are, am I breathing? Am I enjoying this? Do I feel energy in my body? Like if, if the answer to those is no, then like do something else than process, like take a walk, play a board game with the person, watch a movie. Like that's not, that's not lack of connection. It's just a different type of connection. And I think the, just the last piece on that is a lot of that for me comes down to safety. Like, am I feeling safe to show myself? Am I feeling safe to interact with this person? If the answer is no, maybe the form of interaction I need isn't, you know, getting super vulnerable with the cashier when they ask how I am. Um, it's actually like figuring out what's a little step into like the edge of the self that I want to be. Like if I do want to have more interactions with people, maybe I like stop and think for a moment before I answer and say something other than okay or fine. But I don't go to like, oh man, this winter has been real hard for me. Like I'm super depressed mm -hmm. and just like this food is like, I know I'm buying a lot of ice cream and hot pockets and stuff, but that's just what I need right now. How are you? <laughs> like, no, titrate a bit. <laughs> mm. I'm curious about your answer to that. Oh, gosh. How connection is <laughs> meaningful connection is transformed. Yeah, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think it's funny. Like when I think back to when I was 21 or 22, for example, and I just graduated from college and I so distinctly remember that I loved getting asked the question, what do you do? Because I felt really cool because mm. I finally had a job. And I just thought it was like fun and interesting to like talk about my job. And now when someone asks me that question, I like very much refuse to answer it in any kind of conventional way because I hate that question so much. And I, um, yeah, I'm like always kind of constantly working on ways to change the way that anyone can answer that question, not just me, because it obviously only tells us information and never insight. And, um, you know, as a, along with a whole host of other shitty questions that people tend to ask in get to know you conversations. Yeah. So I think a lot of connection for me has been a matter of like changing the way that I ask questions with other people and the way that I answer questions from others in allowing and in terms of asking questions with others, like allowing them to really explore themselves a little bit through the questions that I ask versus, again, just getting information from them. So that's been a big one. And it's funny that you mentioned like changing the way that you are reaching out to others when you're struggling. That's been a big theme of my life the last few months. But uh, I would say this month specifically, I feel as I was telling you, December was just is has been just a month of grief, like for real, for real. And Part of me is like, damn, maybe this is the universe just trying to be like, you need to practice what you preach. Like, don't bullshit me. You need to reach out to people for help. You need to believe in the trust and the love that other people have for you. And you need to act on it. Um, so I think that's been another huge piece is the way that I ask for help um, or just asking for help at all, because it is not something that I have been used to doing in my life, working on creating connections through challenge. And a lot of times I feel really comfortable with like talking about challenging situations and talking about grief and like in a general sense and like looking those things in the eye and having conversations about them. But when it comes to my own, um, 
as I'm experiencing them in the present moment, it's, it's so much harder, which makes sense obviously, but, um, yeah, it's been a, a real matter of getting over some of my own bullshit this month and that will likely continue to be a lifelong journey. But yeah, that's, that's been, uh, some much more present moments, feelings of connection these days. How did you, how did you get yourself to reach out to people if you have? Oh God, I don't even know. These, I've actually asked that question to someone recently who like reached out to me when they were having a hard time. And I was like, can you just walk me through like how you did that? Like how you managed to pick up your phone and text me and say like, Hey, I had a really hard day. Can we talk? I was like, how did you do that? And, um, I was just like bewildered. Honestly, I just, I feel like it's just been a lot of trial and error and um, learning to let people in a little bit. And as you were talking about with these levels of safety that we're feeling, like there are certain people that I feel safe to call when I'm like in the middle of a sob fest and I know that they can hold that space for me. And there are other people where it has felt just as risky because of the level of our relationship to just tell them like, yeah, you know, I've kind of had a tough month this month. And to just like say that sentence. Um, and maybe they're not the person that I'm going to call when I'm sobbing, but it's our relationship might allow for like a little bit of extra honesty in that area. Um, yeah. And just measuring like, who are the people that I can share those different levels with? I've actually never even thought about it in that, that levels of safety way. I'm glad you brought that in. Yeah, I think we're surprisingly intuitive about that stuff. It's not just like, oh, I'm a coward because I can't tell this person about how I'm doing. It's like, oh, my, some part of my system is like intuiting that there might not be something safe here and I have to separate out, is that my own fear or something I'm picking up on by like kind of echolocating, like sending out a ping, seeing how they respond. Mm-hmm. If I tell them about something vulnerable, do they dive in a little or do they turn away? It sounds like you're getting a sense for that with people in your life. For sure. Have you had, well, not have you, I know you have because we all have. What have your experiences been like with people as you're learning to go a little deeper with people and to be a little bit more vulnerable yourself and maybe prod and poke in some areas where people aren't used to being prodded and poked? What's your experience been like with people's reactions and people either being like really uh, relieved and hungry for that type of connection or people being like, who the F are you? I don't want to, don't talk to me about these things. Don't ask me that kind of question. Like, I don't, mm -mm, get out of here, Sarah. Yeah. Lots of stories about that. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I don't really realize I'm doing it anymore. Like I don't really have like a, a vulnerability filter. Somebody will talk about something. I'll just be like, Oh really? Like, what's that like? And they'll be like, I'm experiencing that. (laughs) Like, Oh wait, social norms. Right. Um, (laughs) I, I think two, two responses to that. One is like, I think the most common response I get is that people actually will answer the questions and go deeper. And they'll usually say something like, you know, maybe I shouldn't be talking to you about this or mm. wow, this is deeper than I usually go. They'll like, they'll, they'll kind of qualify it at some point. Um, but they will go there. And I try when I'm doing that, to make sure that I'm also sharing things about myself. Cause one thing that can get tough when you're like trying to create more vulnerability is like you keep asking about the other person and just go in and they at some point get uncomfortable because basically like you're not signaling that you're safe um, by mm. also closing. And so if I'm going to go deeper with someone that I'm not sure is comfortable with it, I'll make sure that I'm going to reveal the same levels of depth. 
Oh God, that's um, so good. That's so important. Yeah. Um, I'd say like my biggest, like the, the kind of biggest ongoing practice ground with that has been my family. My mom is an extremely open person, but the rest of my family is like fairly private. And one thing I've, I've learned a couple things about it. One is like having people open up takes a lot of time. And it requires learning their language and going to them. Like, for instance, my dad is uncomfortable sometimes with vulnerability, like talking one-on-one, but he'll be very open over email or message. And so with him, it's like, we'll write emails to each other about the more vulnerable stuff. So some people work best over that. Or with my grandma, it's like, you have to give her time to process things. So I can tell her something, she'll have a strong reaction to it. I have to go away for a while and then I can come back and check in. I've learned to try to figure out what somebody's language is if they're reacting badly to vulnerability because usually it's not that they're rejecting me. It's almost like I'm a virus coming in and their antibodies are attacking it. And it's the question Mm -hmm. of like, what is gonna be something that feels comfortable to their system that I can then take deeper. Actually, I have a great story about this. If you don't mind me telling yeah, something real quick, please. one of my favorite stories to tell. Um, so my brother, um, and I, I tell this story in one of my courses, my brother is a pretty private person. And he and I, he went to boarding school from the time that I was fairly young. And so we didn't grow up together in a formal sense. And we didn't have a good relationship when I was young. Um, I kind of idolized him and he teased me a lot. So a couple, maybe like three years ago, I took him and my mom to Burning Man, which was a whole story in itself. But for me, it was like, oh my God, this is my chance to connect with my brother for the first time as an adult. I'm going to pull out all the stops on this one. And so I'm like oh, yeah. asking lots of deep questions and like sharing things about myself and like checking in with his emotions and like, you know, what's your relationship to this? And like, you know, what's this moment you love? It's, it was, you know, I was authentically relating with him and he hates that shit. <laughs> like, <laughs> he, he doesn't, you know, feel comfortable opening up until he feel until he knows someone really well. And we didn't know each other as adults and it's just not his form of communication. Mm-hmm. He's a brilliant, brilliant human. And like, he'll talk about philosophy and ideas and, you know, stories. And he will open up about himself when he feels comfortable, but I wasn't, I wasn't speaking his language. I wasn't giving him space to feel comfortable. And so after like four days of this being, you know, my mom was coming to Burning Man late and we're just like, just not connecting. And it's so like devastating to me that this is like my one chance to connect with my brother and I'm using all the tools in my toolkit and it's not working. And we end up having this huge blow up with each other. Like in the middle of camp, we're like having this conversation, like tears streaming down my face, like totally not connecting. And in the middle of that, my mom shows up and it's like, I'm here. Wow. That's a clusterfuck. So, (laughs) so I went and like flipped out and cried behind a car for 10 minutes and came back and we dropped the conversation. Didn't have it again. Um, (laughs) about a month later, he came to, he came to Austin, um, with his girlfriend at the time, now wife. And I was determined to like speak his language this time. And so I did some research ahead of time, like what were good places to go in Austin? What were things he might like to see? 
Um, I did some background research that I find in trying to connect with people, it's really useful to talk to others that know them and ask like, hey, what sort of activities do they enjoy? Do you know anything about how they like to communicate? Like other people are a great source of information. So Mm -hmm. I got some information, I think, from my mom and family about what he would like. And I like, you know, took them out on the town. Like we went and got ramen and we went and saw things and we talked about stuff and politics and current events and all sorts of things. Um, And it was like a really good day. Like we didn't end up having the same sort of conflict. We get to the end of the day and we're having a beer together at Halcyon, this coffee shop in town. And he turns to me and he goes, okay, you've been good. You can ask us deep shit. Oh, nice. So, and and my relationship with him has gotten a lot more intimate since then. And both of us kind of chalk it up to like me, like getting a little less intense on the vulnerability stuff and him being willing to open up a little bit more as a result. Oh my goodness. I, you know, I want to tell you something that came up for me as you're sharing that story. I, cause I have the same experience with my siblings I, I have four siblings. They are my best friends in the whole world. And God bless them. They do not like to communicate the way that I do. And hmm. I, yeah, like they are, they would be so incredibly not into the games, just so not into the games. And and they're like such lovely people. And, but yeah, it's not their thing. Okay. And part of me, like, as you're telling this story and you're talking about how your brother just like didn't want to connect the way that you did, I'm feeling myself want to just like throw a temper tantrum and be like, but Sarah's brother, this is just (laughs) how you connect with people. This is Sarah's just trying to do the good work of the world. And she's trying to like, you know, get people to be more in touch with themselves and be more in touch with each other. And like, this is what we need. And like, how dare you try and stop her? And it just like makes me so frustrated and I'm trying really hard not to like in my own personal life, I'm trying really hard not to be like, Oh, I'm the one that that is communicating correctly. I'm right. And everyone else is doing it wrong, but it really just does something to me sometimes. And I think, especially with the people that I love the most of, of course, um, of just like, why don't you get me completely and just agree with everything that I say? (laughs) It sounds like that's two parts, but I imagine part of it is like, why don't you get me and the things that matter to me? And the second is like, why don't you get or agree with these practices that I think are really important for like helping the world? Yeah. Yeah. True? Yeah. It can be isolating. It's, um, I think, I don't know, maybe it's a matter of just like learning to communicate differently as you've been doing with your brother and yeah, finding that balance that like connection can still happen just it's going to be different with every person because we're all unique. Uh, Yeah. Something, something I have in the back of my mind is like, you know, with my brother, it worked out to create more vulnerability, but there's a lot of people like with my grandma who I've like really never gotten to that space with. And there is, there is like, you know, sadness in me or this question of like, am I missing something in connection with her? Like, you know, what do I do with people that don't want to have the same level of connection that I do, where I feel like I'm kind of not being honest about part of myself or not being able to fully show up. Mm. I imagine that's a kind of similar to what you have with your sisters or your siblings. Yeah. Yeah. It has made me feel, um, yeah, if if I'm missing something, that's a good way to put it. Um, I also would imagine 
like a lot of the folks that I've met who have come into authentic relating, people that I've met here in like in different authentic relating things here in San Francisco, um, a lot of them mm-hmm. have expressed kind of that same sentiment of like, I feel like I'm missing something in connection with other people. Like they want this super deep level of connection all the time with everybody. And of course, not everyone mm-hmm. wants to return that. And um, yeah, and I've heard a lot of people kind of express it in those words of feeling like there's something, something's off either with me or everybody else. I'm not sure. <laughs> There's, there's also like, it's almost like working out to get vulnerable with people. Like the first time you work out, your muscles actually tear. Like that's how they get stronger. They tear and they rebuild and they tear and they rebuild. Like you are hurting yourself when you're working out in order to get stronger. And vulnerability is the same way. Like it's scary and we're going to get rejected sometimes and our bodies are going to feel like something's going wrong. And like, you don't deliberately hurt yourself unless you see value to it. So people that have never been exposed to a level of communication or kind of communication, like if they haven't been exposed to something like authentic relating and, and seen value in it, they're not going to go there and they're never going to build up those muscles. And so those of us who practice that in conversation, it's kind of like, we're like emotional bodybuilders and we're going out and we're like, man, why has nobody else like torn their muscles all the time and rebuilt them? (laughs) And those people have probably rebuilt their muscles in other ways. Like, you know, maybe in business they're they've done like that sort of work and they're walking around the world going, man, why does nobody else understand how to balance a spreadsheet or a budget? Um, I think all of us have some version of that, but it makes sense to me why if I'm at level 10 vulnerability comfort and most of the world is at level two, I'm expecting them to be able to lift the same level of weight when that's actually going to hurt them. And I have, and, and like, it sucks to have to put myself back at level two to meet them because I'm leaving out the other eight levels of myself. Mm. I've, I've been kind of like trying to find ways around that. And I think there are some, but it, I, I experience a lot of people that do consciousness work feeling lonely. Ooh, let's talk about loneliness. What's uh, What's been your experience with that, especially in doing this work? Because I think there's so much awesomeness and power and of course, community that comes through the work that you're doing. And also being a leader in this type of space, leadership is lonely. And any anything that you're doing that's different to what the culture typically is, of course, can feel very lonely. I'm curious about your experience there, if you wouldn't mind diving in. Yeah, I'm trying to think of what, what aspect of it to speak to. I feel like leaders are the ones that tend to be on the edges of c- containers, creating them and holding them for other people. Um, I tend to say that like, Participants in the experience have to hold one to two perspectives, their own experience and maybe like the person that they're interacting with or the people they're interacting with. So self and other leaders have to hold self, other, the group as a whole and the context of the gathering. So we can never relax the part of our minds or rarely relax the part of our minds that are tracking how is the group doing is this container safe? Is it fulfilling its purpose? We're going to be the ones usually like walking around the edges of the room, making sure that the plates are put away. Like it, after a while, it just becomes reflexive. And there is, there's both loneliness and connection in that. It's just yeah. it's like, it's like, you know, that phrase, who watches the watchmen? Yeah. Uh, it's, it's being a watchman. And 
And I find that leaders, we tend to build small communities in which we feel at home, if possible, in which we don't have to lead. And those are often, there's often the the communities and the groups. um, And if it gets larger than a certain number, we're automatically in leadership role. (laughs) Um, And so I often avoid gatherings because I can't turn that part of me off. I can't go to someone else's event most of the time and stop tracking how are they facilitating and is everything taken care of? I always give myself a role if I can, when I go to events, like helping in some way so that I can give that part of me something to do. And I forget how much I need community. Like one thing that happened for me this winter was like, I had kind of whittled down to this smaller group of people that I was trying to really deepen with. And a number of them were out of town or unavailable and I'm living with fewer people now with just one housemate. And I think a lot of the reason that I got depressed was I was just lonely. Like I wasn't naturally around people. I had to reach out to like form every social interaction and send a message and go, who wants to hang out and organize it. It's, it's a lot of work just to hang out with people. And I was like, man, I really need to set up structures in my life where it's not going to be as much work for me to create those social hangouts in which I'm not just the leader. Like it has to be like, maybe we have rotating leaders or it's something that's ongoing enough that people just know to gather and I'll be the leader the first couple of times, but then I can relax it. Those are my thoughts at the moment. But I guess the last thing is, I think loneliness in our current society is just a normal facet. Like we don't have a society that's built to meet our needs for connection. And that's why we form these independent communities that, are trying to replace a need that we used to just get met by living in group. Mm. And it's, it's hard. It is lonely. And I don't know any way around feeling lonely sometimes because of the way that things are set up. And it's like a constant process of picking myself up off the ground, dusting myself off, and then like waiting until I have the energy to create something again. Gosh, yeah. And I think so many people don't realize how um, how our society is not set up for connection in that way. And, or, or even rather like how it used to just be so much more, how that need got met so much easier because we were just facing other people so much more than we are now. Yeah, and people are like shocked and surprised at the fact that they're feeling lonely. And of course now like we're medicalizing loneliness and pathologizing loneliness and like no one should feel lonely and yeah I think as you're saying this is super normal especially given the circumstances everybody like this makes a lot of sense (laughs) that almost everyone feels lonely so much of of the work that you do is like just allowing people to connect to that feeling and have other people be able to raise their hand and say me too I understand that feeling and Cool. That's like 80% of it, I feel like, is being like, oh, other people feel this. Okay. That's a little less lonely. Interesting. What else does that bring up for me? And like, what else can we do with that? There's, it's, wow. Yeah. Being able to get people into a room and to look at emotions and say, yes, I have felt that is just one of the simplest, most powerful healing things in the freaking world. Mm. Agreed. I love that summary of, of what it can be too. It's just like, ah, I'm lonely. Who else is lonely? Oh, I'm not lonely anymore. (laughs) Got it. All of us. Okay. (laughs) How do you navigate loneliness? 
Oh my goodness. Um, you know, I feel like loneliness has been a theme in my life for like my whole life. And I say that with also the possibility that perhaps that's been everybody. Like I really, I love to say that like it just because you feel lonely doesn't mean you're special because everyone feels lonely and like you don't get to feel special about being lonely because we're all lonely and that's a really good thing. So, and I think I had that sense even when I was younger, I'm thinking of like, I don't know, high school maybe. And I think I felt less lonely in high school because I was probably just less introspective and was probably uh, like my world just felt smaller. So I maybe just didn't feel like as like existential as I do on a regular basis right now. But Mm. yeah, even as a teenager and stuff, I had the sense of like, feel like everybody thinks they're super unique, but we're all kind of thinking the same things. And like, none of us is really that unique. And I, I remember having those senses and yeah, as I've become an adult and created my own world and started experiencing tragedy and challenge and all these things and having these feelings of like holy shit does anything matter like how do we assign meaning to things how much meaning belongs should I feel this lonely am I making up the loneliness just a lot of like big scary questions um and oh yeah I think these days when I'm feeling lonely it's I feel a lot more comfortable with it, especially because I talk about loneliness so much to other people. I feel a lot more comfortable reaching out to a friend and saying like, hey, I kind of need like, do you want to do something today? Um, Whereas before it would have been like, I feel lonely and I shouldn't burden other people with my sadness or with my bad mood, which don't get me wrong. I still fall into that all the fucking time, but am getting much better at it. Yeah. And I think just recognizing like, cool, this is, uh, this is part of the human condition and really having to be a bit of a hard ass with myself. I think there's a fine balance between like being really gentle with myself when I'm feeling lonely and being a hard ass and like setting some rules. I'm like, Kyla, you're not going to sit here and scroll on your phone for an hour because you know, that's not going to help. Like we're not doing that. Don't bullshit me. I never do that. Just kidding. Go on. (laughs) Never, ever have never sat on Instagram for an hour when I've been sad ever. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Like you're not going to do that. You are going to get up before noon. You are going to call a friend. You are going to go outside. Like these are your rules for the day. They are simple and you're going to complete them. And so having that kind of groundwork is really important for me or that framework really. um, And those, those guidelines for myself when I'm feeling any kind of emotion, honestly, like setting up those walls for myself is really important to allow everything else to just like play on the inside which I think is such a that's exactly to me what these games help people do I think is like here are the rules here are the things that we're agreeing to before we start playing the games here's how you play them and now let's see what happens on the inside now that we have the structure set up um and I'm a big fan of rules and so I love when I met you at the games in Austin a few weeks ago that yeah, the fact that like ground rules were set up beforehand, it's like, yes, safety, security, boxes. I love this. And um, yeah, and allowing people to play inside of that is so crucial. Yes. Yeah, there's, uh, I love two things that you said really stood out to me. One is like this existential concern, like, and certain meaning and, you know, these themes of grief and death and suffering. Like, as we get older, like, to me, that's like really hit me this year in a new way. And it's been Mm. really hard to process. And like that, 
the lack of conversations around that in our culture yeah. is inherently we just don't talk about it. Um, and it was, you know, I, I had this moment recently of like, I was kind of at the worst of the depression I was in. I was like, kind of the closest I've ever gotten to being suicidal. It was like, start, it was scaring me. I was like, what is going on? And I had some friends that were picking me up for a women's retreat. And I hadn't told my friends how much I was struggling because like, I didn't want to burden them with it. And, and I came down and I just like, I was like a mess and like, I couldn't do anything but like cry for a while. Like we didn't even leave for the retreat for a good 45 minutes. And, and they, what they did that was so useful was they didn't just kind of hold and comfort me. They also validated that like they had a lot of the same concerns, like, you know, what do we do about suffering in the world? And like, we're aware of environmental decline and like, yeah. we're scared of like our own mortality too. And, there was something about, I hadn't realized how alone I felt in just the, the fear that I have. So actually hearing you talk mm. about it, I, I feel like that part of me relaxing a little bit, like, oh, you too? Mm. Yeah, as you're saying, it's just not talked about enough. And actually, like just before we got on this call, I was watching a trailer for Human Flow. Have you seen this documentary? Mm-mm. What is it? I, I hadn't heard about it before I watched this trailer, but it's like this new documentary that's about the refugee crisis and yeah, just like all these people who are being forced out of their countries and going to like God knows where. And, um, and I'm watching this and I just had this like overwhelming feeling. I'm like, fuck, like does anything I'm doing matter? Like, do, like what is my life almost just like what a fucking joke my life is when like, other people are suffering so much more than me and, and having to walk that line of like, that is true. Other people are suffering on far deeper levels than I will likely ever experience. And that doesn't negate anyone else's suffering, including my own and having to hold these two things that are very true. It's like, I'm still totally allowed to suffer because I feel lonely and didn't hang out with enough people this weekend. And I'm allowed to feel very confused over the fact that like, there's people who's lives are objectively so like you know their basic needs are not being met in a very serious way yeah and like how do we how do we live in a world where there is this massive gap and there is you know we want to talk about connection and we want to talk about loneliness and this is so important and it's so vital and there are just a lot of other things happening in the world and i think that so many young people um struggle with this of like is my impact the right kind of impact? And is the meaning that I'm making in my life the right kind of meaning? Is the meaning big enough? Is it deep enough? And yeah, I think so many people are asking these questions and not saying it out loud and it's really hard and there's no way for us to answer those questions either, but we do need to bring up the conversation. Yeah, it was beautifully said and like, again, just feeling really met right now in something I thought I was alone in. So that feels amazing. (laughs) Yes, Um, oh, what a yummy feeling. Yeah. Yeah. That's something I've been really thinking about. And it kind of is, has stalled me out in work for a lot of the last year. I ended up pausing a lot of my programs a couple months ago. Um, I'm just restarting them now, but I, I paused them for like four or six months and took a step away and like wanted to see like, am I doing the thing that's most important for the world and did a whole bunch of research on like the state of society and what are interventions that matter and trauma and like, just got totally overwhelmed and was like, man, how do I hold this depth 
of suffering and still do something and do something within the the areas that I have the capacity to impact. Cause like, yes, I can drop everything and go and volunteer in Africa, but like, you know, is that actually the most valuable thing for me to do? And I'm kind of just coming around to like, okay, like what can I do? That's like a step from my position, like ordering a bunch of supplies and making care packages for the homeless or like looking up some of the nonprofits in my area and offering scholarships for my next training. Like, you know, what, how can I bridge? So I feel like I'm affecting some of this because I think one thing that happens that's, that definitely felt possible was just getting overwhelmed, having to drop it and continuing to live my life, which I don't want to do either. Like I'd rather depression to, to blindness but I also need mm-hmm. to be able to move forward. And it's such a hard line to tell. Oh gosh. Yeah. And I, I think that's where so many people get stuck is in that state of inaction and overwhelm with really anything in our lives of like, everything is scary. Everything is a risk. And when our bodies feel that it's sort of like, Ugh, don't do anything. Yeah. And it's, it's a, a hard place to be. It's a dangerous place to be when we feel like, well, might as well do nothing because nothing is going to matter enough. Like that's the reason that we're in an environmental crisis. I read some statistic the other day that was like 75% of people who refuse to make behavior change around their climate impact is around their carbon footprint is because they believe they can't make a difference on their own. And it's like, wow, if Mm -hmm. 75% of the fucking people would change their mindset, like what a difference it might make. And, but yeah, it's like, you know, no, uh, no judgment there. It's, it's a scary thing we're looking at and it's a hard thing that we're looking at and it's complicated and big and overwhelming. And it's, um, it really takes something to, to get up and do anything. So I applaud you for doing anything. <laughs> Same. And, and I feel like, <laughs> yay, <laughs> doing anything. <laughs> Seriously, sometimes getting out of bed in the morning is just like, all right, I've helped the world in a small yes. way. Did a thing, check. Yeah, totally. And, you know, something on that, like um, people feeling like they can't make a difference in in climate change. Like, again, I just believe that a lot of this comes back to the issue of like not feeling community and not feeling connected because it's like mm-hmm. communities can feel like they make a difference environmentally. Like they can make mm-hmm. decisions about you know, water and electricity and like people can come together to support each other in shared goals. But like we have this story that we're supposed to make our decisions individually and we're supposed to be self-reliant. And like that is really hard. There's a lot more activation energy to do stuff all on our own than to get other people to support us in it. And I don't necessarily know a way around that yet, but like even like trying to, it's like, whenever I do something to change my own impact, I try to like let other people know and see if other people will join me in it because surrounding myself with people that will do the same actions naturally make it easier. And there's something missing about setting up the structures whereby it's just easy to, to do the thing that's in alignment with our values. And this is actually the other thing I wanted to speak to from earlier was like, you talked about authentic relating games, creating structures that made it easier to interact. Like I, I meet a lot of people who are like, I don't want to play a game in interaction because that's artificial, like stop facilitating. Um, and I think that like, we're always playing a game in interaction in society. Ooh, we're just playing yes. a game that we've been given rather than ones we create. And 
there's a beautiful book called the art, art of gathering actually that's like my bible now on how to on how to create oh my gosh i just like, finished reading that last night no joke uh, so good um I'm, I'm working on a book that I'm hoping will be something similar, but for community, because that Amazing. talks about kind of more one-off gatherings. The reason that I think leadership is important is like somebody has to put in the activation energy to create new structures, not to lead something over and over again or change your own behavior, but to create structures that make it easier for other people to follow their values. Like that's what a leader does. They create systems that everyone can live within. Mm. And that's like what I want more people to do to do just like, you know, if you're going to make a change in your environmental behavior, like how do you get other people to join you so that it's both more impactful and less work to maintain? Mm, Oh my gosh. That's, I feel like so much groundedness and passion and, um, just knowledge, wisdom coming from your voice and, and the things that you're speaking to. And it's also important, the ways that being in community just radically changes the way that we behave. And we've lost that because so few of us are in community these days. Oof, wow. Well, I want to be mindful of our time here and would love to ask you some like quick boom, 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 lightning round questions before we close. Um, Before I do that, I would love for you to share with the people where they can find out more information about you and the things that you're bringing to the world. So you can find more about me. My main website is authrev.org. A-U-T-H-R-E-V, authenticrevolution.org. And a lot of the stuff we've been talking about, um, at least for the first half of the conversation, like how to deepen conversations non-awkwardly. Um, I have a course called the Authentic Life Course that's under mm-hmm. the, the courses or the trainings page. Um, and that like covers a lot of these skills and like teaches them in a way that as far as I've gotten feedback on has been like really useful for everyone from like, lawyers in very traditional environments to, you know, yoga teachers and um, people living out in the middle of nowhere in Washington. That's a thing. Um, and I have a Patreon as well, which is patreon.com slash snest. And then the other thing is like on the site, on the authorrev.org site, there's a place to download a copy of the game's manual and all of my writings are by donation. So um, if you want to play any of the games or practice them or do them with your family or whatever, like, please go there and grab a copy of the manual and try some of them out. Yes. Highly, highly, highly recommend the manual. I, I don't, I also don't know if I've ever told you this. I have played these games with people all over the freaking world. And I, I travel to Israel really frequently, like leading immersive experiences. And every single time I like, I tell people about Authentic Revolution. I'm like, so this comes from this amazing organization in Austin, blah, blah, blah. And I, every single time that I'm facilitating anything, I'll open with one of your games. And it's like so magical. And I also, oh wait, this is actually a great story that I am so excited. I get to tell it to you directly. Um, I wrote an article for this organization, this community building organization that I do work with here in San Francisco. And I wrote this article for their website about like ways to create more meaningful connection with people. And I mentioned Authentic Revolution as a resource. And then, and this was an article that like they asked me to write and I was like, no one's going to read this, but I'm like happy to write it, whatever. It was just sort of going to like the archives of their website somewhere. And then I was at a conference in September in like Wisconsin or something. And someone comes up to me and he's like, oh, you wrote that article for this organization's website. And I 
read the article and I looked at the authentic revolution thing and it looks so cool. And I live in New York city and I saw that like, and I want to like play the games in New York and I'm like, what's happening. And it's, it was just such a beautiful connection. Yeah. It's so special. So everyone, everyone knows about so you. Weird I'm so excited. Yeah. And uh, thank you so much for sharing that story. That's really impactful. I also love just that name of like someone finding the thing that you thought had been buried away and being like, Hey, you impacted me. <laughs> I want to say also I thought about this. There's a map that's linked from the website that shows all the authentic relating communities I know of around the world. So like, that's a really good place to find out if there is a community um, in a given area. Oh, amazing. Great. Cool. Okay. So before we close, I will ask you a few final questions. Um, okay. Number one, what is something that most people assume about you? Uh, that I'm comfortable in social situations and have high self-esteem and uh, that I have my leader voice on all the time, <laughs> maybe. Mm. What is something that you would like to be acknowledged more for? Oh, that's a great question. Uh, I think like the the n- number of perspectives that I'm trying to hold and balance in what I do. Like I have a lot of judgments that like I don't do enough to help different aspects of society or like, you know, care for my friends. But like I always have lists and have a lot of things in the back of my mind, like who in my life needs care, what in the world am I paying attention to or not, like what programs are are going on like and sometimes when people ask for ask for time or ask me to change something in a project it's like I want to show them like okay where would this fit into the things that I'm holding what do you think most people learn from you I think they learn that social interaction can be more fulfilling and it doesn't require changing who they are at a basic level. Beautiful. And last question. Ooh, and I'm excited to hear your answer to this one. What is one of your favorite questions to ask other people to help you to get to know them? <laughs> um, there's at least two. One is like, if, if I ask how somebody is and they say, okay, I ask what's the O and what's the K? The other is like um, some variant of like, what do you, what are you passionate about? Or like, what's been interesting you lately? People like talking about Mm. their passions and their interests. Yes, yes. Well, thank you so much, Sarah, for sharing your wisdom today and for getting deep and dirty and vulnerable. And um, yeah, this is just like such a joy to learn from you and to speak with you. Mm. This was a lot of fun. This was definitely the most fun podcast I've done in a long time. And I think it was because you were opening up too and it made it just like a lot more engaging. So thank you for that. Oh, fuck yeah. I'm like doing a dance right now behind my computer screen. Y'all can't see it, but it's dope. And I'm like dancing around. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Kyla. All right, y'all, that is the episode. Thank you so much for listening if you've made it this far. And if it feels good to you, please give me a rating and a review and a subscribe on Apple Podcasts. And if you listen to the first episode, like episode zero, the welcome episode, you will know that I don't really care that much about those things, but I do care about people being able to find this podcast. And the more ratings and reviews that I have, uh, the more people are going to have access to conversations that don't suck and to finding connection in their lives. Thanks so much for listening. I love you so much.